Hi, everyone. I'm Blake Oliver, and this is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. We're back with Justin Alangian, CPA, partner at Aprio, and nationally recognized PPP expert, among other things. Maybe at this point, Justin, we could just call you stimulus expert. Is that fair to say? <laughs> I think it's fair to say if it's a three-letter acronym and it's related somehow to COVID relief, it's probably appropriate. That's your domain. Well, that's great. And thank you for coming back because we've got a lot to talk about when it comes to stimulus. Seems like this might be the end of the stimulus. There's probably not much more to come, but we've had a lot of changes since you last were on the show. And I would love to get an update from you for our listeners on those items. Obviously, there is PPP and the recent deadline extension. We'll talk about that and all the implications of that. You also told me that we've got ERC stuff to talk about here, employee retention credit. There's the Shuttered Venues Operators Grant and the Restaurant Revitalization Fund grants. Those two items I haven't really heard too much about, so I'm eager to learn what those are and how we accountants, CPAs, bookkeepers can help our clients. So what do you want to kick things off with? You know, it's, it's hard to say. Why don't we start with where I guess I'd say we're most familiar. I'll start with PPP. I think that's the one that uh, most people have at least followed. It's been a little over a year, and we can talk about the latest updates. It's shocking, I think, Blake, to say that I think our fewest updates are about PPP, and ordinarily that's where we see the most frequent occurrences. So maybe we'll start with that one, and we'll work our way into the other programs. Great. So I saw the story today that President Biden has signed the deadline extension for the Paycheck Protection Program into law. We were expecting that for a while with it taking a bit of time to get through the House and the Senate. So the deadline is now changed from March 31st to May 31st. What do we need to know beyond that about what's changing? Sure. So a couple of things took place. Um, right now, the most recent change from yesterday was that it was the extension of loan origination. And May 31st is now the date in which a participating PPP lender needs to submit the form to the SBA. The actual cutoff date as far as when the SBA will no longer approve loans is June 30th. So there's a 30-day window there to allow for the SBA to clear any potential backlog that may arise as you think about the dates. But the other things to keep in mind, and, and, and this is more than just a push out of a deadline, is it also provides an opportunity to accommodate some of the recent changes that took place to the program in the month of March. Two in particular that came into play. The first one happened in early March in which uh, Schedule C filers had an opportunity now to calculate their loan amount from gross income as opposed to from net profit. And the impact on that is significant for or potentially significant for two primary reasons. One, gross income is larger than net profit, right? And so if you didn't max out your loan amount, it was less than $100,000 on that net profit line. This would provide an opportunity for a larger loan amount to be calculated. But it also provides this opportunity for businesses and Schedule C filers in particular, who we're talking about, who had a net profit that was zero or negative 
up until this point in time, if your net profit was zero or negative, you just weren't eligible to obtain a loan at all. And so that change to moving to gross income now provides an opportunity for new businesses to be able to obtain PPP loans. But but we still have this problem where if you've already filed under the old rule using net income and you got less than the maximum amount, you can't go back and refile or get a larger loan under the gross income amount still, right? As of March 31st. Yes, that is correct. Um, the reason I caveat that there, Blake, is last week, it was um, last Wednesday, the U.S. Senate Small Business Committee conducted a hearing with a, a variety of officials as witnesses providing testimony. And in that conversation, the question came up and say, is this really fair? Yeah. What about all those people that proactively applied for, you know, for, for their PPP loan, either the first or their second draw or, or, or both, and we're following the guidelines and eligibility? Certainly, they're not just out of luck. What are we, what are we going to do to make this right? So it indicated that there is going to be some further discussion taking place I, as to whether or not there would be a retroactive application. And then would that allow certain businesses to go back and request an increase? I think that the business community is certainly hopeful that that takes place. I don't know that I would say the same for the lending community, as you can imagine the administrative headache that would accompany this. So it will be interesting to see what takes place in the ensuing weeks here while there's still funding available. Got it. So we've bought ourselves another two months to try and get the political momentum built up to get this fixed for the Schedule C filers. And it sounds like there's a bit of interest already in the Senate in in doing that. I, I can imagine there's probably a lot of people who were on top of things who filed Schedule C or did it for their clients and are a bit miffed that they they didn't get that full amount now. I mean, it could be a significant difference. I mean, you know, $10,000, $15,000, maybe more, right? It, so. it certainly can. I'll tell you, you know, the, this, as soon as the conversation had come up and, and the challenge with the timing with it was this exclusivity period that we had where only businesses fewer than 20 employees could apply. But we didn't get this new form with this calculation until like day 10 of 14 yeah. of the exclusivity period. But as soon as it had had been mentioned on this new calculation, I'll tell you, every webinar we did, the Q&A started blowing up asking about, well, but I already obtained my loan. What do I do? And so certainly that is swirling around because we're talking about thousands, probably hundreds of thousands, even potentially into the millions of businesses that could have a shift here as you think about 2020 or 2021 loans, having a potential increase in ability to uh, obtain more funding should this become retroactive. Well, and before we feel too sorry for the banks, you know, maybe we should make them earn the their cut of the Paycheck Protection Program money that they're getting, right? Let's not forget that. They're getting paid to do this. They certainly are collecting a fee uh, amongst the process, I'll tell you, and working with very closely with a number of lenders across the country. They are feeling the frustrations and struggles and pain just as much as the borrowers are in facilitating that, knowing that there's only so much that's within their purview of what they can assist a borrower in doing and supporting them in that effort, because of course they have the best interest of their customers in mind. That's good for everybody, but they have limitations provided by, you know, to them that are beyond what they have the ability to do. But, but nonetheless, I think as we've seen throughout many components of the program, 
it's not the administrative efforts that are going to get in our way of doing what's right and what's needed to stimulate the economy. That's what this is for. And as much as there may be grumblings about the pain it may cause, it's well worth it. And we've seen the community come together to support that effort in the aggregate across the United States. Well, that's great to hear. So uh, hope hope on that front. What about the uh, employee retention credit? That's been extended to all of 2021 now. That was part of uh, the act that was passed in earlier this month, right? And there was two components. Yep. So the first one, uh, Blake, when we when we when we last spoke, we were looking at the extension of uh, expanded eligibility and extension to the second half, uh, the first half. So through Q2 of 2021, with the American Rescue Plan Act, that extended it out to Q3 and Q4 of 2021, increasing the potential opportunity from start to finish to $33,000 per employee is now its maximum value. So uh, certainly provides a, a significant opportunity as we look at that, even more so than what we had before. And are the criteria still the same in Q3, Q4? Like what, 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 need, what needs to have happened to my business in 2021 for me to qualify? Sure. So criteria are still the same as it relates to what we saw for and are currently seeing for the first and second quarters of 2021. It's a business that met one of two criteria, really important, one of two criteria, not both. The first of which is a significant decline in gross receipts, which for purposes of evaluating the 2021 credit, that's a 20% decline in gross receipts for the respective calendar quarter that's being evaluated as compared back to 2019. Noting that that decline in gross receipts does not necessarily have to be COVID-induced. So if the business simply had a cyclical in nature, let's say, and had a particular activities that took place in 2019 that don't take place in 2021, that in and of itself may give an opportunity to meet that gross receipts test and now become eligible for the credit. So a variety of things to think about just on the gross receipts front. Got it. And so that's, that's the first one. You said there were two criteria? There sure are. So the second criteria is really where we're seeing a lot of businesses qualify for the retention credit. I won't use the exact terminology. I'll kind of kind of give a, a more generic version of what it means. It's a business that was fully or partially suspended as a result from government orders that limited commerce, travel, or group meetings. Really important. I don't know that we're going to see a ton of full suspensions as we get to Q3, Q4, but certainly who knows? I can tell you my fingers are crossed that we yep. don't see that. But partial suspension can certainly come into play, noting that it's about the flow of commerce. So that could be a suspension in operations of some kind, not full suspension, partial. So some component of the chain of commerce was impacted, resulting from government orders from suppliers to the business being evaluated to its customers. It's, it's somewhere in that chain of events. There's a suspension of, of operations that's more than nominal. So, that, and is that defined anywhere? Has anyone defined that? Or is that up to us to figure that out? Uh, we have, we have, it's more looked at as a, it's more of a safe harbor. Um, so okay. on March 1st, we did get some further clarification, which was much needed on what's more than nominal. Because certainly, Blake, your definition may be very different than mine. On March the 1st, the IRS issued a notice and 2021-20, uh, 
that being said, this notice is specific to 2020 evaluation only, but I think it gives us some indication of what we can expect for 2021 as well. And in that notice, what they did as it relates to nominal and, and how that can be evaluated is it said is the component of the business, is the business activity, the department, whatever it is that we're looking at relative to the partial suspension. Was that segment responsible for at least 10% of the revenues of the business in 2019? Or were 10% of the hours spent in 2019 related to that segment? That's going to be a really hard yeah. one to evaluate for businesses who aren't large enough that it is uniquely identified and tracked by department or component units of a particular business where the suspension is impacting just the business. It's everything we do. Right. Yeah. If, if I own a store on a street, <laughs> you know, I'm a main street business, it is very unlikely that my accounting system is going to track in detail enough for me to figure this out. I mean, I guess I could, I could do a study. <laughs> I don't know. You, I, I mean, you certainly could, but I think that we're, what we're going to see, depending on the activity, use the you know, if you're thinking about it from yeah. a retail perspective, right? You may have two flows of real of real commerce, right? In person sales and online sales. There and you that go. may be as simple as I'm as I'm going to look at it, and I'm going to yeah. bucket into just two categories. We see that a lot with certain restaurants, for example. Mm-hmm. Drive-through versus, you know, in-facility dining or to-go versus in-facility dining. There's going to be some practical measure, but obviously, on some of these businesses, that that more than nominal aspect can't be disaggregated, and and that's really going to come into play. It's going to enhance the need for some documentation, which is obviously important in uh, claiming the credit, yeah. even though it's not submitted. It's information to maintain. It, that brings up a really good question because I, I was thinking about this whole thing with the PPP and the ERC and the the millions of businesses that are taking these loans and claiming these credits. The IRS is already understaffed dramatically. Uh, you know, they're not even picking up seventy percent of the phone calls that they get, or something like that. I could be off with that number, but it's a lot. So. The ERC is is a credit that we take on payroll tax forms, quarterly payroll tax forms, right? So that it's up to the IRS to then audit the businesses that are claiming these credits. I mean, realistically speaking, uh, you know, obviously we need to maintain documentation to substantiate our you know, credits that we're taking. Otherwise, they could get denied, and we might have to pay penalties and interest. I imagine, uh, but realistically, like the IRS isn't going to be able to audit even a fraction of these ERC claims. So you, you, you've you kind of hit the nail on the head, right? You're yeah. looking at theoretically, and I completely agree with, with the analysis. Of course, it's early in the game to have a historical period to look back to, to say, what's the audit percentage? What's the audit rate, right? It's not as, it's not as simple Right. And civil being relative as PPP, we have a defined amount of loans. They went through a particular process. We're tracking them. We know when they start. We know when they end. With with the employee retention credit being that it's filed on a payroll tax form and noting that IRS forms have a statute of limitation of three years. So we could be seeing amended forms coming for several years in the future. The question being now, what's the IRS going to do? 
with the finite amount of bandwidth that they're going to have? Mm-hmm. And are they going to spend the time staffing up uh, efforts to audit businesses impacted by COVID claiming a credit that, by the way, is a temporary program? Is that really where we're going to focus our efforts on, noting all the existing limitations that already um, prevail within the IRS and its administrative staff? Yeah, so just something for us to think about when we think about how much how much effort are we going to put into this documentation? Right? Because I always like to think about that, right? Uh, what is the potential risk? Because you can't do everything, right? You can't dot every I and cross every T realistically in a, in a business scenario. So something to think about there. It sure uh, is. And I'll tell you where where one would look to and, and uh, for, for that information is also in that IRS notice. Notice 2021-20. I'm saying it again because it's important. This is the, also the first place that we've seen as to what documentation you should have to substantiate your credit. So if you go into that, it's, it's 102 pages. Ironically, you'll find, I think, on the last page is part of the Paperwork Reduction Act. Um, all that being said, it's 102 pages. If you go to question, I believe it is 70. It's question 70. It's, it's the last section. There's two questions on substantiation requirements. And question and answer 70 actually outlines the documentation to show how the employer determined it was eligible and that it had qualified wages. That should be kind of used as, as almost like a table of contents to what a business is going to maintain. Now, how far into the detail you get with the documentation should align with the risk tolerance of the respective business, depending on whether or not you're qualifying under the gross receipts test, which is a little bit more black and white, right? That's a financial statement that we're looking at versus this nominal portion of a business that we're discussing here, Blake. That can be very different. And so understanding how much documentation there may align with, how gray of the area you may be into, how large of the credit you may be claiming, things of that nature. And that's really an important thing that we think about all the time as advisors, right? Is yeah. and, and you asked that question there, Blake, what's the risk? And let's make sure that we build the right strategy that aligns with the risk tolerance of the business. That's a perfect example of it here, Blake. Well said. Shall we move on to the Shuttered Venues Operators Grant? You know, I said earlier, perhaps mistakenly, that stimulus is moving toward the tail end, right? We're not, we're not going to see more stimulus. And what I meant by that is uh, the legislation is pretty much done with. It's, it's unlikely that we're going to get more money in these programs. But we do have a new program that is opening up April 8th. We certainly do. So this one hasn't gotten, I'd say, a ton of attention, likely because funding hasn't yet began. But it's, it's, it's now evolved twice in the course of the last, let's call it 95 days, right? If you go back to December 27th, that's when the Consolidated Appropriations Act was signed. That's when this uh, the Shuttered Venue Operators Grant Program came into fruition with an, an initial allotment of $15 billion. There were some changes to the program that took place as part of the American Rescue Plan Act. Two in particular that are of importance. So let me talk about kind of convergence with other programs very quickly, and then we'll talk about who should be thinking about this. The changes from the American Rescue Plan added another one and a quarter billion dollars to the program. So it's a little over $16 billion program at this point in time. But what it also did is modify eligibility. And, And what that means is 
the Consolidated Appropriations Act, when it first mentioned this, this, this new program, it said that you cannot get a 2021 PPP loan and get the shuttered venues operators grant. So you had to figure out what you were going to do. That was a pretty tough decision at the point in time of, I don't know when the, um, the funding is going to be available for the shuttered venues. So I don't know if I want to wait on it versus going and obtaining a PPP loan. The, the American Rescue Plan Act made a modification and said two kind of important things as it relates to convergence with PPP. You can obtain a 2021 PPP loan and a shuttered venues operators grant. But there's kind of an ordering rule now that comes into play. You, you, in order to do so, you would have to obtain your PPP loan first before you obtain the Shuttered Venues Operators Grant. The reason being is that PPP loan is a reduction in the amount of the Shuttered Venue Operators Grant that you'd be eligible for. And that's why there's a particular ordering rule that's associated with that to make sure that we're not, again, kind of that that double dipping concept that we see very commonly here, implicit within the guidance. That's kind of the protective measure that they put in play. So, so this program, for those who aren't familiar with it, it's it's pretty spectacular. If you are a shuttered venue, and and by that, you know, what are we talking about? You know, I'm thinking of the live music venues that I have seen closed for the last year, right? If if you're uh, a blues bar and you can't get people in to listen to live music, you're not going to be open. They can get up to a grant. So this is not a loan. It's a grant of up to 45% of their gross earned revenue. I, I assume that would be taken from a, a prior year amount. And they just get that get that cash, right? To reopen, get back to business. Correct. Yeah. So it depends on the of when the business, like in many of these, when the business was in operation. So if it was in operation before the beginning of 2019, that 45% figure that you mentioned there, Blake, is their 2019 gross earned revenues. It is capped at $10 million. But yes, 45% of the gross earned revenue for 2019. And then there could be some potential reductions related to PPP loans that may have been obtained in 2021. Either way, really yeah. good opportunity. And you mentioned, you know, live venues, but think about think about others. You think about performing arts theaters or other theatrical producers, motion pictures, museums, zoos, and aquariums. You know, there's a, there's a number of uh, organizations that are going to fall into this category. I, I see here, I see here on the list, even talent representatives can count. So that, we're talking correct. about like talent agents who have been out of work because they can't book for their, for their clients. That is correct. So as long uh-huh. as it's tied back to this type of an activity, if you will, then yes, that's going to provide some additional opportunities. So it's a big one knowing that this, this is in addition to PPP. I know that I'm working with a number of theaters and, uh, and, and museums that are building their strategies. We'll talk about this further, Blake, but building their strategies and saying, well, how do I align what programs I'm going to take advantage of? How does that impact my spending and things that I should be thinking about? noting that I, I can't be using the same cost at the end of the day across all of these different programs. Right. So a shuttered venue could be doing PPP, ERC, and the shuttered venue grant. Is that right? Is that possible? It certainly is. We're working with a number of them that are doing oh. that. I'll, I'll even throw in one, one last one there, albeit it's four letters. The idle 
loans, the economic <laughs> oh, yeah. disaster loans, right? They did also increase the value of that program, noting that that's a little bit different, right? That one is a loan. Uh-huh. But just last week, the SBA announced that the maximum amount, which because it used to be $2 million until we got all these applications submitted as part, after, the, after the CARES Act, and they reduced it to $150,000 cap. That's now been increased to $500,000. So there's definitely some strategies here. It's an alphabet soup, no doubt about it. But this important opportunities to add some liquidity to a business that has been impacted by the pandemic. And for this one, I would apply directly with the SBA, I assume, on their website? So that's a great question. Um, right now, they've been developing this platform. It is through, administered through the SBA. I'm sure we're all really excited about another SBA program. They definitely have their hands full, no doubt about it. But last week, they just um, released a, um, a splash site where you can now register for updates for when the platform becomes available. So if, if, it, if, you, if you fall within the eligible businesses, which you can see, all of that information, FAQs, pre-application checklist, things of that nature by going to the sba.gov site and then searching for shuttered venues. You can also go to the Splash site and get notifications on updates for when the portal to apply has been updated, noting that it's got an anticipated opening date of April the 8th. And that URL is svograntportal.sba.gov. And you can put in your email and and join their email list. So we got one more to cover today, the Restaurant Revitalization Fund. Those grants are also going to open in early April. Do we have a a date on that yet? We don't have a date on that yet, but I'm hopeful that we'll have some information here soon. Um, That program came out of the American Rescue Plan Act, $28.6 billion. it's it's, It's really... Uh, restaurants, bars, caterers, other food service related items. It is about having the facility, not just uh, food service manufacturers that wouldn't come into play. Um, but there's a whole host of, of, of entities in the hospitality arena whose primary activity is um, is serving food. And the timing of which has been one that many are, are, are kind of waiting to have fully announced Noting that this is an industry that has been hit close to probably the hardest, I think, of all industries across the United States and many uh, areas across the, around the world. What was what's been said and what was noted by um, uh, an SBA um, official, Patrick Kelly, in that U.S. Senate Small Business Committee hearing last week, was that we would have guidance within. He gave a time frame of seven to ten days. Now that was a Wednesday, ten days would make this coming Friday. We know how the SBA is. So maybe this Friday we'll get some updated information on uh, information needed to apply, how you can apply, things of that nature. But it it did come with a comment as as um, further inquiries were, were submitted as to when this would open. And it does have, it says that there will be a phased out approach in the month of April. Also a program that runs through the SBA. So if you are listening and you have a restaurant clients, hospitality clients who serve food in a, I assume, you know, sit down, bar, that kind of thing, be on the lookout for this because it's up to $10 million per entity or $5 million per physical location. It's a grant. It's not a loan. 
which is ideal. I think we've all figured out that was the right way to go after dealing with PPP. Uh, we we need grants, and and hopefully this will help all those restaurants that are still closed get back open. Uh, I guess if they can get their rent, the rent relief they need too, right? That's uh, separate from this discussion. But you know, I think in some places like San Francisco, half of restaurants are closed. Yeah, and, this provides yeah. a really big opportunity. I imagine that this funding will run out. Um, relatively quickly. There is an exclusivity period of t- for, for the first 21 days for women in, that are in a minority-owned businesses um, as, as the program rolls out, and that's part of that phased rolled-out approach. But if you really think about what this can be worth, if you thought 45% of grocery revenue for shuttered venues was significant, when you look at how to calculate the amount of the grant for the Restaurant Revitalization Fund, you take your 2019 gross receipts, subtract out your 2020 gross receipts, and then subtract out any PPP loans you've received. That's the amount of your grant. This is a grant that's going to make them whole. That's incredible. That's exactly what it is. Like I, I, that's exactly how I refer to it. This is a make you whole grant. And as you look at its, in, its, its respective costs, and again, noting we don't have all the guidance just yet, but if you look at what's listed within the American Rescue Plan Act, it has a covered period, as we think kind of we think back to PPP when we think about that, of February 15th of 2020 through December 31st of 2021. And then it also says it can be extended for up to two years beyond that, as determined by the SBA. So you've got almost a you know, call it call it a, almost a, a 23-month window, 22 and a half, to use the funds, including what would appear to be retroactive application. And the costs of which are everything PPP, plus it includes principal on mortgages where that applies. And then it has a really broad one that basically says, and any other essential operating costs. So it provides a ton of opportunity here for those uh, restaurants that have been closed, that have been hit really hard due to capacity restrictions and, and other requirements to obtain some funding. I think what's important as we think about grant versus loan, whether we're talking about shuttered venues or the restaurant revitalization fund, is that there's likely going to be some back-end reporting that's still going to entail showing that you use the funds for uh, respective costs that are covered under the program because it does have a refund the excess back Mm. to the SBA clause with it. So while it doesn't operate like a loan, you do need to use the funds for intended, uh, intended costs and there'll be some reporting. We're going to see a lot of that coming forward in likely the next few weeks so that we can really be intentional. And that's really going to be the biggest takeaway of all of this discussion here, Blake. Be intentional with cost utilization amongst all the different programs. Build the strategies. Know your options as you're working with your clients. They're going to need your assistance. No doubt about it. So to kind of take all your different programs lay them out on the table, find out the overlaps between the, the eligible uses of the costs and, and, and cross-program eligibility, that, this is a phenomenal time to add value to your clients. This is priceless guidance to those prospective businesses in a time of need and desperation. Well said. Thank you so much, Justin Alangian, for your time today. That's all the time we have. If people want to learn more about what you do and what you're up to, I will direct them to the aprio.com website, 
Anything else you want to tell our listeners before we go? I'd say check us out. Um, Aprio.com. If you go to actually Aprio.com slash what's next, it'll take you right there to our blog. We are always monitoring the latest releases and guidance. We're usually putting something out within 24 hours, most often sooner, give or take some time to sleep. But sometimes we sacrifice that too, to make sure that we put out the latest information to our networks. You can register for our mailing list, check out our webinars and, and, and get educated on these programs. Your clients need your assistance, and I encourage you to dive in. I know it's tax season, but take a moment to think about the opportunities that lie ahead and and, and stay in tune with the, with the changes to the program, and, and we can simplify for that for you by following our blog. And I will second the blog. That is a great resource for anyone who is trying to stay up on all these programs. And you know, while you're at it, have a little fun. Play Scrabble. With all of these programs, we've got PPP, ERC, SVOG, RRFG. We hit all of those this this session here. Uh, thanks for your time, Justin. Great chatting with you and hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me, Blake, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. And for everybody out there, good luck, be calm, and we'll get through all of this together and serve our clients in a way that we know best. Sounds good. Thanks, Justin. <laughs>